0: I'm Izzy Walls and welcome to Hot Stuff where we discuss current hot topics that we think deserve your attention. From social issues to popular culture, we'll be keeping you up to date on relevant and unique town related content every Tuesday. Today, I will be bringing you part two of my interview with Ayong. Last week, we discussed more of the logistics and learning Taiwanese, the study resources, and today, we'll be going into the very important history behind Taiwanese. So, stay tuned. <coughs> Okay so let's talk about the history behind Taiwanese. So I was watching some of your videos and you had a really interesting debate one about some of the previous connotations with Taiwanese and its links to colonialism, the the complex of language identity and in that video one of the other people in your videos he said that it should be the mother tongue of 80% of Taiwanese people but the first language you learn here is mandarin and there is such a complicated and kind of sensitive history behind that and i was wondering whether you'd be able to share to our listeners more of the insights on that i think it's important when you're learning taiwanese and speaking it that you you're aware of kind of that history
1: yeah absolutely i think it's uh it can be definitely one of the motivating factors but it can also you know just sort of inform if you're you're interested for other reasons it can sort of inform you know how you how you learn it and like what you know what kind of things you you look for? Yeah, it kind of depends on how far back you want to go. <laughs> like the, I, I can give you this the really, maybe the hopefully brief uh, sure. version of the old history. So you know, back in the like 16th century or before, there was these there were always traders on little boats that came over here and they would trade with the with the natives for animal skins and different kind of stuff. Uh, and some of them would would stay here and so so there's there's always sort of been a small population. It was mostly migratory, so that most people weren't staying, but there was always a small population of um, you know mixed Aboriginal or native and from uh, the the East Asian mainland, as I like to call China. So there was always people here and they brought the, this language with them you know their, their native languages with them. And the like going back further than that, it's uh, it gets very murky about how the language originated. There's speculation that it came down originally thousands of years ago from the north of the mainland continent. There's speculation that it was sort of a a trading language used only in harbors like in the on the east coast uh, because of all the different like elements that are in it. Uh, there's different speculation. it's very hard to trace. Uh, with the Indo-European languages, we're lucky to have uh, phonetic writing systems, and so we can trace the history of words going back tens of thousands of years, even, um, or maybe not that, much, at least thousands of years. And with the Chinese character writing system, you lose a lot of information, so it's very lossy, and it's very hard to know uh, early history. But uh, what we do know is that you know the different different language groups from a few regions, from Zhuangju and uh, and Jiangju and some other places in the uh, on the coast, they came over here, and from uh, from A-Meng, which is Shaman, uh, or they call it. It's typically written A M O Y if you've seen that, Amoy, which is also you know in the local language the name of it. Uh, and so these different language groups have came up, come over here for for a long time. And the first sort of first big wave of permanent settlers came when the Dutch were here. Mm-hmm. So it was a Dutch colony at the time, and this wave of permanent settlers from the East Asian mainland came over. And they settled in an area that today we call Anping, or Anping in uh, in Taiwan. So you maybe have been there to Fort uh, Fort Zeelandia on the coast of uh, I, of Lam. I haven't actually. Okay, it's good, <laughs> it's really cool to go check out if you want to see like an old Dutch fortress Ooh, in Taiwan. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> um, so they settled there, and the name of that uh, area in in the local Aboriginal language at the time was something that sounds very similar to Taiwan. Mm. Not not exactly clear exactly what it was, but it's something very similar to that Taiwan. And so, uh, you know, back in the day, before any kind of mass communication, you've very rarely had a need to name your language, right? You only spoke with people that were in your immediate area. And so it was just, you know, why am I gonna name the language that we all use and we never hear anything else? And so it was very common for languages to simply be named after the place that they're spoken in. And so, uh, you know, this language that ended up there with this uh, movement of migration ended up becoming called, you know, taiwan way uh, you know taiwanese because the name of the place was taiwan and the people that were living there were speaking just by definition taiwanese and the locals uh who you know they eventually became locals and they adopted the name taiwanese as their own name so today if you if you ask uh, you know in a variety of aboriginal languages or indigenous languages what uh, what is the name for taiwanese the language mm. and and for what sometimes they will call the minnanren the mm. min people here Actually, in the indigenous languages, they call them Taiwanese. They speak Taiwanese and they're Taiwanese people. And that's, that's because the original name of that place was Taiwan. And today, if you actually look on a map or you go down there, there's a there's an area of, uh, of Tainan, which is called, in Mandarin, it's called Da Wan. But uh, the, that character Da in Taiwanese is pronounced Dai. Oh, so it's actually okay. still called Dai And there's like, you can go to uh, you Da Wan Guoxiao, which would be Taiwan Wan Guoxiao. So it's like, there's Taiwan, Taiwan Elementary School. <coughs> You know, obviously, the the history of the, let's say now Taiwanese people and the indigenous, uh, you know, that that has its own whole history about mm. colonization, all that stuff. We can we can get into if you want, but just sticking with the Taiwanese topic. Um, so that you know, they more settlers came over, the population grew, that became the majority population after a certain time, and for the longest time, up until really maybe even like the seventies or eighties, outside of this island, it was known internationally almost exclusively as Formosa mm. and so this was the you know the old Portuguese name or Spanish name I forget who, who came up with it initially but you know there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, Isla Formosas around the world because it just means beautiful island there's a lot of beautiful islands and the explorers of the yesteryear they named a lot of islands Formosa this was just one of them if you if you look around like South America there's all kinds of islands <laughs> called Formosa but this was called Formosa and internationally it was like if you said Formosa you meant this island and it was really only uh later on when the, when the ROC came, it's, it sort of started under the Japanese of referring to the island as a whole as Taiwan, but it didn't really pick up. And then it really picked up under the ROC of referring to the whole island and eventually even to the outlying islands. So like uh, Penghu or Peng'o and um, you know Jimen and Matsu and those places also as being under this Taiwan umbrella. Mm. So it's very tricky if your identity, if your family's identity has been here for you know hundreds of years, many generations, and you've always been Taiwanese, and that was sort of your thing, right? You're Taiwanese, you speak Taiwanese. And now all of a sudden you're being told like, no, actually, you know, you're not Taiwanese. You're just one of many Taiwanese, uh, you know, and you, and you need to respect the other Taiwanese languages. And they're like, wait a minute. There's only, my, my language is called Taiwanese. I think what a lot of them have felt in, in recent decades, especially is that the they're not sort of allowed to be Taiwanese anymore, mm-hmm. right? Because if you, if you say, I'm Taiwanese, and if you say, for example, a common sentence that people will say, especially older generations, they say Taiwanese people speak Taiwanese. And that's, for them, it's by definition. They're Mm -hmm. not making a political statement. It's just by definition. Like you you define your, you know, language group and that's one of your, everybody has many identities. And that's one of your identities is which language you speak. You know, I'm an English speaker. doesn't make me an Englishman, Mm. but I speak English. And so, um, you know, if you say you're Taiwanese, to them, definition, it means that you're speaking Taiwanese. And so now when they're told like, uh, you know, actually, you're not allowed to say that because that's uh, that's making it hard for uh, the indigenous people, for, let's say, new immigrants, for Hakka, for other people to take this Taiwanese identity, then they feel pushed out and they feel, but, the, the, you know, what what else do I have left? Because that was the only thing that I had. So they, you know, they, they feel a very strong loss of identity in that sense. Mm. Uh, and that's, in the, in the video you mentioned, we were talking about, an, and I, I've definitely seen this a lot in the... Um, Taiwanese community, and when I, when I use the word Taiwanese, I, t- I tend to mean in this sense, right? So Taiwanese language speaking community. I've definitely seen that there is a strong, you know, sort of uh, desire to use a different label for the the island as a whole and for the other peoples, and so they often use Formosa still. Which, which is, you know, for me, it's, it's very reasonable. Obviously, a lot of people say like, well, then you're just talking about European colonialism <laughs> and you're just replacing one with another. Okay, it's debatable. But uh, at least then there's a clear distinction between, you know, the, the groups that are here and the, the sort of uh, unity here as like, you know, Formosa and Formosan peoples, which would include Taiwanese and Hakka and others.
0: And in that video as well, we will go back to the video. Um, the standpoint was put forward that some people feel if you don't... St- Taiwanese, you can't be classified as Taiwanese. And what what do you make of that kind of standpoint?
1: Yeah, well, that's what I was just uh, alluding to a bit, right? Is that, Mm. you know, for for a lot of people, especially pre, let's say pre-1990, pre-1980 even, for most of that generation, that was a definitional thing. Mm. And so it's very interesting, actually, if you have any uh, elderly Taiwanese people that you know, and you ask them, you know, in your childhood would you have ever referred to a Hakka person as taiwanese and they'll tell you flat out they'll think about it and they'll tell you no because mm. that doesn't make any sense to them right it's just not part of their like thought process that like a Hakka person could be taiwanese it would be like would you ever refer to an english speaker as a french speaker like mm. no they don't speak french They're, you know for, for them the the speaker is dropped they don't say speaker mm. but when they say taiwanese they mean taiwanese speaker
0: and what about though what about if maybe some of the younger people nowadays who only really speak uh mandarin well mandarin is their mother tongue and maybe they don't really speak taiwanese how does that play into kind of identity and what it means to be taiwanese
1: yeah that's why you get a lot of people who uh, you know younger people who actually will take a lot of flack from the older generation even their own family mm. you know their parents or grandparents and they'll you know their grandparents will tell them like what kind of taiwanese are you again for them it's a, just a definitional thing It creates a lot of uh, intergenerational conflict, I would say. Mm.
0: Let's go back to the history again. Can we talk about when the Kuomintang came from China to Taiwan and then how kind of the policies that uh, followed from then on, the attitude towards Taiwanese?
1: It's important to understand before we get to the Kuomintang or the Kuomintang, That, you know, Taiwanese, the language, was the lingua franca on Formosa for close to 400 years. Mm -hmm. So if you came to Formosa, you had to speak Taiwanese or you would not be understood. And so even the, you know, the Hakka people who were here, as a minority population, they spoke Taiwanese. The indigenous people here, they all spoke Taiwanese. The Japanese came, uh, they spoke Taiwanese. Their administration, when they communicated with locals, was it done in Taiwanese? They brought in Taiwanese textbooks uh, you know, they created Taiwanese dictionaries. The best uh, Taiwanese, the best extant Taiwanese dictionary today is still the Japanese one, the one mm. compiled under the Japanese administration. So it's important to, to understand that. And then when you look at what happened under the Kuomintang, it's it's quite drastically different. So when they came in, uh, initially, you know, they recognized that the lingua franca here was Taiwanese, and so they would they used it. But they very quickly realized that they were not going to be able to bring the local population into this uh, idea of Chinese nationality with this Taiwanese lingua franca. And so it became an imperative for them to extinguish Taiwanese as much as possible from the, especially from the public sphere. And so they passed laws um, not, not long after martial law started to actually completely ban any spoken Taiwanese from public life, from schools, from government officials. Uh, they banned the writing system so you could not write in Taiwanese. Uh, in books, they would burn books. They would actually, like, I've heard they would actually discard, you know, mail letters sent in the mail that had a, an address written in Taiwanese on them. So they wouldn't get sent. Mm-hmm. Again, if you ask some, uh, some older folks this, you'll hear some really terrible, like tragic tales about how they were in school. And, you know, they, they started out in elementary school and their family was Taiwanese. So they only spoke Taiwanese and now they're going to Mandarin school. And they're told by the teachers that if you don't speak Mandarin, you're going to have to, you know, first that, you know, get hit. They did corporal punishment. Uh, and then later they did fines. They would actually find them uh, one, $1 and the later $5 and $10. They would actually do like public shaming sessions and they would make the other students like tell them you're a dog. You can't, you're a, you can't speak you know, proper Chinese. So they did, they did some pretty awful stuff. I've, uh, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who, who went through that. It's, it's, it's tragic.
0: It's, it's, it's really quite a horrific part of, like, uh, Taiwanese history um, and that whole kind of, like, martial law period. And you talked about, again, this kind of, like, shame that people started to become ashamed to speak Taiwanese. And that came as well for the younger generation who kind of then had differing views, I guess, because they, maybe they've grown up with this, oh, you shouldn't speak Taiwanese, and maybe like your agong, your Ma, like they they still have, you know, a different feeling towards Taiwanese, and there's that kind of generational disparity. I read, um, it was kind of like a short literature piece, and it was called 说过于比较高级, uh, so like speaking Mandarin is like more high class, high class yeah. right? Yeah, and I wanted to kind of talk more about the negative portrayal that Taiwanese was given and the kind of misconceptions around it at that time.
1: Yeah so um, like for example during martial law you, you can't just extinguish a language over you can't just extinguish it by decree <clears throat> because that's what people know so they're going to use it. So what they did was they passed a lot of uh, regulations for example in the, in the, in the movie industry that if there were any characters in the movie that spoke Taiwanese, they had to be the bad guy. They had to be, you know, a, a betel nut chewing, you know, no, mm. no good Nick, who's going around doing all the all the, all the the wrong stuff. They passed laws like uh, if you're going to have a, a radio station, you're going to play music. You can only play one Taiwanese song every so often. Wow. Uh, and it has to be, you know, a certain kind of song that you can play. They, they, very strict regulations about who could use Taiwanese, when you could use it, what kind of environments you could use it in. There's a really good example... From, uh, I, I was just thinking about, you know, the this intergenerational uh, sort of conflict. There was mm. a, There's a movie called, uh, I don't remember if it's the whole title of the movie, it's uh, or if it's even in the title, but people who've seen it will know it. It's called like, Law" uh, or Lulu, some of that. Mm. Happiness Road, I think, On Happiness Road. It's a cartoon, but it's very good. There's a little Taiwanese girl, and it's a story of her growing up uh, through the sort of martial law period, and then um, <clears throat> her travels back to Taiwan as an adult. And there's a scene in there where she's talking with her dad, As a little girl, and uh, you know, she gets back from school, and her dad says, "Like, you know, I'm going to go sit on the sofa," and he says "pongyi," which means sofa in Taiwanese. And the little girl says she starts laughing at him and pointing at him and saying, "Like, Mm. you know, you're an you're an idiot. Like, it's not called a pongy, it's called a." It's called Asafa.
0: Yeah, um, that was a similar um, to what the the, the um, short extract that I just brought up before is that the protagonist, when she was younger, she had this, she was like, to her ma like, why, why, like, why are you using Taiwanese? And like, felt shame about it whenever yeah. she heard her speak it. And then by the end of it, um, she's obviously grown up and times have changed. And by the end of it, it's kind of, you know, it shows her, growth I guess is by the end of it she's proud to speak Taiwanese and I wanted to speak more about how you know after the martial law period ended um how then attitudes towards Taiwanese changed
1: so a little bit more uh, uplifting part of the story hopefully <laughs> <laughs> so basically the martial law was lifted uh you know nominally in 87 But it took a long time after that for people to actually feel comfortable using Taiwanese in in the public sphere. And even today, especially among people who lived through the martial law period or some portion of it, there's still this lingering sense of, you know, Taiwanese is just for the home and we shouldn't speak it outside. And so they they will avoid it. But um, obviously, not everybody does that anymore. And obviously, there are a lot of people who are are very happy and uh, and proud to use Taiwanese uh, in public and in their daily life. And even now, you see, like in in politics in the government. Yes, uh, I've always thought it was very interesting that despite all of this these horrible situations during the martial law period, after democratization, and you see in the political rallies until today that political speeches are always given in Taiwanese, even by candidates who never speak Taiwanese. <laughs> and so you get these candidates who, like their Taiwanese, maybe is even terrible, right? But they will, you know, take Use the extra effort campaigns. to do the campaign mm. because they know that that is a way to connect with the local people. You know, it's it's been. Since the end of martial law, it has definitely been a topic on a lot of people's minds of how can we how can we undo this, uh, you know, 40 years of damage that you've done to our society. And there have been a lot of people working on it. And it's it's an ongoing process. It might take another 40 years to to fix.
0: Mm. What do you think young people's views of? Taiwanese is like in today's society
1: I think there's a split there's a split between people who actually think it's like a cool thing now yes uh that's one group and and that group is growing which is very nice to see but there's also this group uh who you know they they still see it as this sort of like I mean I'll give you an example I went out to a a a restaurant in here in Taipei one time with a friend we're speaking Taiwanese is a Taiwanese guy um and, you know, he ordered in Taiwanese from the waitress. She's probably, you know, in her 20s. And, like, she gives him this look of disgust. Like, why are you ordering from me in Taiwanese? And she said something to him to the effect of, like, do you really have to do that? Like, can't you just use Mandarin? Wow. And so he was just like, fine, I just won't order. And I ordered for us. So there's, you know, there there are definitely wow. people still like that around. Uh, but hopefully they're, you know, that number is in the decline.
0: That's really uh, shocking to hear. And I guess, I guess, what it comes back to, you know, Generational like trauma and how it's not gonna go away straight away. I'm I'm hoping it's gonna like you said, gonna keep on moving towards the, like it's a cool thing because I think in you know, a lot of like rap artists actually use like Taiwanese and stuff. Like, na- I-
1: and even even not even Taiwanese rappers necessarily like Namawi. You know he he's a Malaysian guy, but he does stuff in you know very in Hokkien, which is very similar, understandable for Taiwanese speakers. <laughs>
0: Um and what do you think the role of Taiwanese kind of plays in today's Taiwan?
1: Uh yeah, that's 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 a tricky question. I think it's mm-hmm. um I I think I still I still think a lot of people see it as a sort of uh one of the core elements of the sort of Taiwanese or Formosan identity that like if you if you want because you know there's been a lot of talk especially in recent decades about how they want to become a more multicultural society and things but even in a multicultural society you know you have you have the sort of core elements of it like if you think of switzerland you know okay there it's it's switzerland yes there's a swiss identity but there's also swiss german and swiss french and swiss italian swiss romance and so on and so like for a lot of uh for Taiwanese people i think that um a lot of them see uh, see it in sort of that way there's actually a lot of comparisons to countries like switzerland or belgium you know these multicultural countries where it's not uh, it's not a huge melting pot or or salad bowl as some people say like america mm-hmm. is but um you know, they, they do have like, okay, there is a Formosan identity. Yes, we all share the island together, but we do have our own, you know, uh, identities. And uh, if you want to call them nationalities or however you like to think about it, that we have our own musical traditions and our own cooking traditions and our own language traditions and so on and so forth. Mm. So I think there's people that, that would like to see that, um, you know, come, become revitalized in a way that it can uh, effectively displace at least the notion that Taiwanese, uh, that Taiwan is somehow Chinese. Mm-hmm. Right, because today, you know, if you're, especially if you're a foreigner, uh, and you think of Taiwan, you just think it's, uh, you think of, or if you think of anything other than Thailand, you think of the R- <laughs> the ROC and and China, and that it's, you know, my impression of personally, my impression of Taiwan before I came here was that it's the, you know, it's the classical China, it's where it's where communism didn't take over, it's free China, and you <laughs> you, you hear that trope a lot, yes, right, you free China. And so for, for Taiwanese people who would like to see this uh, Taiwanese identity revitalized, I think that's one of the things they want is like, uh, you know, we want our not only ourselves, also the wider world to recognize that, you know, we are different identities here. We're not Chinese. Mm. We, we're Taiwanese and we're actually the, you know, the majority group here. Um, so that, that, would be a, that would be a good thing to see, I think.
0: Mm-mm. And um, as we're coming to the end of our time, um, if people want to find and watch your videos, what's the name of your YouTube channel? Is YouTube the best way to find your content?
1: Uh, yeah, YouTube is the best way. Unfortunately, I've been I've been quite busy with work for the last uh, few months or a year, so I haven't done any new videos. But I do uh, I do appearances and stuff occasionally when I'm invited. But I, my content hopefully is evergreen, so <laughs> it's it's because it's not related to current events or anything. So yes,
0: we, I can attest to that. <laughs> yeah,
1: hopefully it will still serve. Um, and what's the name of the yeah, channel? So you want to look? <laughs> it's lo- maybe a little bit hard to find. It's called uh Young uh, If you're spelling it, it will be A I O N G and then tagi is t-a-i-g-i uh if you if you search for like uh foreigner teaches taiwanese or something you, you <laughs> you'll come fi- up you'll probably find it
0: <laughs> amazing well thank you so much for joining me today i really enjoyed that chat and i think it's great that we kind of talk about all this like complex history and stuff behind taiwanese so thank you
1: yeah thanks for having me on <coughs>
0: that is the end of part two of my interview with a i hope you found it interesting and it provided some new insights into a topic that maybe some people didn't know too much about and if you enjoyed those two episodes you'll be very excited to hear that we have another guest next week who will be speaking more about Taiwanese. so we'll be getting even deeper into the topic there thanks for listening everyone see you next week bye <coughs>